in this edition of Hoopsology, we chat with senior NBA draft analyst Matt Babcock. We discuss Victor Wimbenyama and Scoot Henderson as prospects, Paolo and Chet, G League versus college for player development, the NBA draft lottery system, and a lot more. Please note this episode was recorded on October 11th. Please email your questions to hoopsologypod at gmail.com and follow us on all social media platforms and also subscribe to our YouTube channel. We are a proud member of Underdog Podcast. And now, Matt Babcock. He is an NBA draft analyst and scout, media member, and advisor. We welcome Matt Babcock onto Hoopsology. How's it going, man? No, it's going really well. Thanks. Thanks for having me, guys. And thanks for coming on to the show. Really appreciate it. Really excited just to gain your expertise on a number of just um, topics surrounding prospects. And within the last couple of weeks, uh, we're recording this October 11th, um, there's been one prospect that's really caught really the sports world by storm, and that's Victor Wynn-Benyama. So I want to ask you, Matt, just for those who never heard this guy before like two weeks ago, he kind of give us a primer, a synopsis as to why Victor is so special and why a lot of people are saying this guy is a can't-miss uh, prospect for next year's draft. Yeah, Victor is incredible. I was in Vegas last week for those two games against the G League Ignite. And, uh, you know, I've been around basketball my whole life. And uh, I think probably the most incredible prospect I've ever seen. Not necessarily the best. I mean, I played against LeBron when he was in high school, but um, this guy's seven foot four and eight foot wingspan, uh, shoots pull up threes, fadeaways. He's very coordinated and skilled. I mean, brings up the ball. Uh, and transition and just blocks and dunks everything i i just i think uh if he has a little bit of strength i mean he, he could be an all-time great he's that that kind of upside so i guess my concerns when i have this my own casual uh basketball opinion when seeing like big men that are highly touted the first thing that comes to mind is that they're injury prone so i want to ask you from just a standpoint, like you said, for him getting stronger. Are there any concerns in terms of his health, um, just in terms of like the first couple of years kind of adjusting to the NBA style of play? Is that any kind of a concern, or do you think he'll adapt pretty quickly? Yeah, no, it's definitely a concern on, on some level or another. I mean, similar to what we talked about last year with Chet Holmgren, uh, you know, I mean, guys with, uh, and I've said this before with, with my, my staff, is guys with unique body types oftentimes have unique problems. I mean, I, you know, whether that's Ian Williamson or Chet Holmgren. Uh, so it's definitely something that that uh, we're keeping a pulse on. Obviously, I'm not a trainer. I'm not a doctor. Uh, so, I mean, I think, you know, his his medicals in the pre-draft uh, is going to be interesting. I mean, I'm sure teams are, are going to be very careful with a guy uh, with such a unique body type. And, um, you know, from a scouting perspective, you know, he is very thin. I mean, like I said, he's one of the most unique, incredible prospects I've ever seen, if not the most. Uh, but, you know, he does get knocked off his spot pretty easily. I mean, he's very thin um, as opposed to the Chet Holmgren, which they actually are very similar. I, I would say Victor is is more of a, you know, rich man's Chet, but very, very similar, you know, uh, unique, long body type, skilled. Um, but Victor, you know, in addition of being bigger, uh, he does have a better body. I mean, he's already got some some definition. Looks like he's got a frame to add muscle. Uh, and I think you know, it's funny, his, his agent, Buna Njai, who's, who's a good friend of mine, and was my partner when I was an agent. Uh, he was sitting courtside with Rudy Gobert. And I remember watching Rudy at the Euro camp in Treviso, Italy, and he was extremely thin too. And, and Rudy, I mean, he has not had a problem physically at all. I mean, he added a ton of weight. And so I actually would compare from a physical standpoint, Victor to Rudy more so than Chet, even though his game is much more like Chet's. You brought up LeBron James earlier. So, so I have to go back to this because 
you know, every year, I mean, we're always prone to hyperbole and we get excited for these prospects. Is Wembanyama, is he the greatest prospect that we've ever seen? Is it since LeBron James? In your professional opinion, um, where does he kind of rank at, at the moment? Of course, so yeah. I mean, he, yeah, he, he's got to be in that that grouping of of the the unique top top talents. I mean, you know, it's uh, to, to compare him to LeBron. I think it's really hard for one. I mean, very different styles of, of play. Uh, I mean, you know, other guys. I mean, Tim Duncan was a little bit before my time. But I remember my dad scouting him, uh, talking about him. Hey, this guy's a surefire guy. Um, I mean, Zion Williamson a couple years ago. I mean, what, what was a really top top prospect? I, I I would put him in in that group if not if not you know close to the top. And from what you've seen so far, what are the reports from him, you know, off the court and, and in practices in, in terms of um, some of the the other intangibles like work ethic, things along those lines? I mean, obviously, we saw his range. He went, what was it, like seven for 10 from three-point range. So there's been some work. There's clear skill there. Um, but in terms of his work ethic, what are you hearing? Yeah. So I, you know, I, as I mentioned, his agent, Boone Njai was my partner when I was an agent. And, and so I know their whole staff and uh, I've talked to a number of, of their guys about Victor for, for years, essentially. And then the, the coach, um, uh, Vincent Colletti is the, he's the national team coach and Victor's coach on his team. Now uh, his son works for Buna and everybody raves about Victor's work ethic. I mean, he's got, you know, even though he looks like he, he's, he would be a soft guy cause he's not physically tough. Uh, is a pretty competitive kid. Again, sort of similar to Chet in, in that regard. Uh, and, and they all say he's very mature. Uh, so, I mean, all indicators right now are, are that it's uh, two thumbs up all the way around. I want to ask you, Matt, you brought up Zion. And I think, you know, definitely the, his circumstances were different because, you know, through his development, there was a pandemic. But I just want to ask you, in terms of such a highly touted prospect like Victor, what advice would you get give him in terms of kind of avoiding the pitfalls that maybe his peers have experienced? Because he's so highly touted, we're kind of in a new phase in terms of just this this ongoing hype machine on social media. And then once he gets picked, and then summer league, and then when he makes his debut, like what kind of what is the roadmap would you give him to make sure that he's hitting all the benchmarks? and he doesn't encounter any like unfortunate setbacks yeah sure i, I mean i think uh you know the, the that type of advice you know would, would you know vary from player to player i think with victor specifically in, in looking at zion's situation is c- control what you can which is your body and so i mean i think zion's big issue is he gained so much weight uh and he had the you know the, the injury problems i mean with victor obviously totally different body type than, than zion but but extreme uh, so he needs to get stronger. He needs to to, to do the little stuff uh, to make sure that his body's right. So I just want to ask you, just in general, when you're evaluating a, a prospect, what exactly are you looking for in their game? Are you looking for just because I realize now that this just the way that the, the sport of basketball has gone internationally in America, just in terms of this player development, I think that the skill set has probably been been raised compared to years past, just through the evolution of the game. So what exactly are you looking for that makes a great NBA prospect specifically compared to somebody that might have just a game better fit for international play or some, some other form of basketball, but that's not necessarily professional? Yeah, I mean, it depends on the prospect where, where they're at in their their career. I mean, what I mean, obviously, there's so many different paths now for guys. I mean, it's you know, we got the G League Ignite, we got Overtime Elite, guys going to Australia, uh, obviously, guys going to college. Um, and, and another thing is, you know, 
there's so many different roles that can be filled in, in the NBA. It's not just like there's one one set of skills that we're looking for, you know, that makes the NBA player. Essentially, we, you know, we want a lay of the land, have all the variables in the equation uh, to figure out who a guy is and, and how he potentially fits and, and coexists with other players and contributes to winning. And so I, I know that's a vague answer. Uh, it's just it's sort of a hard question because there, there's so many different uh, circumstances that that would uh, you know make or, or break a prospect in, in regards to how do they translate. Curious about the G League. We've, we've now seen like the Ignite for a couple of years now. Um, and just in your perspective, comparing that to like the college game, do you see the, the G League as becoming like a better vehicle for these players that are fairly certain that they're going to go pro, um, especially, you know, maybe like a year after they've played once they're eligible? Um what's the kind of comparison right now between G league and college? Cause I guess the college side might be the travel that's involved um, as well as, you know, maybe a more intense crowd environment. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest difference between college uh, and the G league ignite and, and overtime elite, cause I think they're pretty similar uh, is that it's really, I mean, going the alternative path with, with G league and overtime elite is, is really a commitment to be, to being a pro. And, Obviously, there's you know a whole different conversation as far as college players not being amateurs and be, you know being paid and being pros now. But you know they they still you go to college. It's sort of like the natural progression of, of you know maturing as as a kid off the court too. And so that's the biggest difference for me is the guy goes to the G League Ignite. I mean, he's a pro. He doesn't have anything to worry about other than being a pro basketball player. Uh, you know, college kids are going to class. They've got you know the, obviously all the social parts uh, of going to a big school. Uh, and, and so, I mean, I think off the court stuff is the biggest difference for, for me. Do you see a change in terms of a highly touted high school prospect? You know, maybe college for somebody who, you know, has a great skill set for the pros that in the future, that may not be the best way for them to go in terms if they are, you know, guaranteed to be a lock with, within the professional ranks. I mean, for, for a long time, college was seen as a, a platform to not only to maybe gain an education possibly, but for mostly gain knowledge from some of the best basketball minds around the country, depending which program you went to. But as you mentioned, with the G League and with Overtime Elite, if, if that's a better option, do you see kind of the, the college ranks really suffering in, in the future? Is that something that could be possible? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely possible. I, I still think, I mean, we're, we're a ways away from it being, you know, a total negative across the board. I, I think uh, the optionality, in my opinion, is really great for kids. And I, I think sometimes, um, you know, college is the right decision for for one guy and maybe G League or OTs, you know, a better decision for the, for the next. Um, it kind of depends on where they're at, you know, from a you know, maturity level. I mean, if a guy needs to address, you know, physical issues, maybe one outlet has a great weight program, a plan in place to really help what he needs uh, and then like i mentioned before some kids just need to go to school and be be just like a normal kid and it's kind of like the the natural step of, of growing up you know and so um i mean i, I really don't think there's a, a blueprint of a, a a mom and dad here's how you know you need to get your 14 year old to play in the nba i, th- I think there you need to kind of look at all the options every step of the way uh and it's kind of you know continually like go back to the drawing board and, and just make good decisions because uh th- th- there's a lot of paths to, to the pros these days 
Absolutely. And I, I agree with you about liking the options that these players have for sure. I uh, want to go back to 2023 draft prospects and, and discuss the other player who was kind of um, headlining those those games that we saw last week. And that would be, of course, Scoot Henderson. Um, what are you seeing from him? And would he be the consensus number one pick if if it weren't for Wemby being there? Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm such a huge fan of Scoots. I, I uh, a couple years ago, his high school coach and mentor is a guy named Desmond Eastman. Uh, in my senior year in high school, I I went to high school in Atlanta and actually played on, on his nickname's the General uh, on the Generals AAU team in a few tournaments. So he and I have been close, and he invited me out to the family. They own a gym in Marietta, Georgia, and I got to meet with the family, meet with Scoot, watch him work out, and the kid blew me away. And just kind of getting to know him and his family. Uh, learning about his work ethic and his drive and killer instinct uh, to go on top of it is just, you know, his, 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 uh, his talent. Uh, and so, I mean, I'm not surprised at all that he's, you know, really jumped up the ranks and, um, and I think he's going to continue to improve. He's, he's got the growth mindset and, and to answer your question. Yes. I, I do think he'd be the number one pick if it weren't for Wemby. Uh, but I, I do think Amin Thompson is right there as well. Uh, th- those are the, those are the top three for me at, at the moment, but uh, Victor and Scoot, I, I think have, have separated themselves a, a little bit. How much of a limitation is it now? I mean, obviously, Scoot is overcoming that with what you just said there, but um, that he is listed at six foot two. Of course, he's 18. He could grow some more. But in 2022, how much of a limitation is, um, you know, being under the height of like six, five, let's say? Yeah, I mean, I think generally speaking, you know, traditional bigs and undersized guards are, are really losing value a lot. Uh, but I think mm-hmm. there are exceptions. And for, for smaller guards, the exceptions are, are you an elite on-ball creator, which Scoot is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think he's going to be, you know, I mean, the, the two comps I have for him is, is Derek Rose in his prime and then Stefan Marbury in his prime. Like, that's what I'm expecting wow. uh, Scoot to become, which, you know, both those guys were elite players at, at their at their prime uh, and at their peak. And so um, I, I do think he, he is an exception to the rule. Also, keep in mind, I, I believe he's got like a 6'9", 6'10", wingspan. He's got huge hands, <laughs> and, and he's built like a bull for a guard. I mean, this guy this guy is just like an animal. I, 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 I care less how tall he is because he's so effective. So, Matt, when you have two highly touted you know, players like this and that just that the hype is probably going to be at, at a fever pitch. Do you think that will push them? Like, what is that, that dynamic like, you know, in terms of having two highly touted picks, they're probably going to be linked together. I've already heard a lot of pundits mentioning both in the same sentence in terms of kind of this budding rivalry that <laughs> hasn't really come to fruition yet. Like, how do you see that intangible playing in terms of how they perform in the professional ranks? You know, I, I know Scoot better than I, I do Victor. I mean, I you know, obviously got to spend some time, you know, being around him, watching him, observing him in, in Vegas. And, and I do plan to go to Paris this year to, to, to see him and hopefully be able to, you know, chat with him and his, and his family. Um, both, both seem like competitive kids to me. I, you know, I mean, the, all the rumblings after that first game uh, is that Victor should shut it down, all that. And his agents uh, really shot that down quickly and saying, hey, even if we wanted to do that, that's not Victor's MO. I mean, that's not how he's built, you know, and he's, he's, uh, he's a basketball player. So he's going to play basketball. That, that's what is uh, the secondary agent, uh, Jeremy, uh, it, it said to me that they had discussed. And, uh, and then with Scoot, I mean, that, that guy's like Kobe Bryant 2.0. Like, good, good luck trying to get that guy <laughs> to, to, you know, not play or get distracted over something like that. I, I think both kids are, 
are uh, you know hyper focused on on succeeding and, and doing what it takes, and uh, it, it's really it's really nice to see too. I mean, that, those are the kind of guys that not only myself, I think everybody in the basketball industry appreciates. Oh, go, go ahead, ahead Justin. No, go ahead, Matt. Take a ticket. I've, I'm just thinking that brings up a really interesting point. You know, we've seen examples in like the college football game. Granted, they, they've been few, but of players kind of, you know, shutting it down as, as you alluded to there. Um, is that something in the modern day that, that would really turn off a scout in terms of like, you know, we, we've seen what we've seen from both Scoot and Wemby. Um, if they did decide, like just hypothetically, hey, we're shutting it down. Our stock is through the roof. Would, is there still kind of this, and I hate to say old school mentality, but just a mentality of like, well, you know, we have to question their work ethic now that they're shutting this down. Yeah, I mean, for sure, it's something that I uh, I get asked this type of question every every year, usually around pre-draft time when, when you have guys mm-hmm. bailing on playing, you know, at the combine and you know stuff mm-hmm. like that. Uh, I mean, to me, I, I I am probably you know cut from an old school cloth a little bit in, in the sense of like like I just said about Victor, hey, you guys want to be pro basketball players, like play basketball, right? You know, and, and mm-hmm. the whole idea of you know you could get hurt and there's risk there's risk every single day of your life. I mean, where do you draw the line? And so, um, I mean, I, I, I don't think guys should be reckless, but like, come on, just lace up your shoes and play basketball. Totally agree. Um, to that point, Matt, I want to focus on this year's prospects and with Chet Hongren. Um, you just mentioned earlier, just with him, his unfortunate injury. Kind of from that whole situation, what was your observations? And do you see um, the, the setback being something that might be a problem to kind of watch for for Chet's career? Or do you think this would be a minor speed bump in terms of his development? Uh, I mean, I certainly hope it's just the minor speed bump. I'm, you know, I'm like I said before, I'm not a trainer, I'm not a doctor. Uh, I, I mean, I, I, I've always been concerned with his body. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if he's got a body type to add much weight, and so I, I don't know if that's contributed to this injury or if this was just circumstantial. Uh, I'm, I'm certainly rooting for Chet, and I mean, I think you know, with him being such a, a long, you know, tall player that's skilled. Uh, I, I don't think he's dependent on his athleticism too much. Uh, so I'm hoping he can make a full recovery and, and, and really never look back. And it's just you know, sort of a small bump in the road. I know this is kind of an old news question, but I do still think it's interesting. Um, and was curious your thoughts. Were you surprised when it was announced that Paolo was the number one pick this <laughs> this last draft? And what were your thoughts on that kind of the maybe potential higher ceiling of Chet obviously we don't know has to be played out but what were your thoughts on how the last year's draft went down well I mean I heard all the rumblings right before the draft I was in New York at the draft actually and uh we we had debated you know do do we switch our mock draft our final mock draft going into the draft even you know having heard those rumors and uh I I didn't I didn't I I didn't I didn't do it I I I knew the rumors I, I didn't buy it um yeah so Jeff Hamm and John, you know, or uh, Jeff Weldman and John Hammond, they they fooled me. So I uh, I actually did pretty good with with my mock draft this year, but I missed the first pick. So that's it wasn't a great start, but we uh, we turned it back around pretty quickly. Just picking it back up, um, just your thoughts on Paulo in terms of how he fits with the Magic, and what observations do you have in terms of um, his performance in summer league, and anything else that you've noticed as well. 
Yeah, I mean, I've been following Paulo for, forever. I mean, I, I remember the first time I watched him was at the Hoop Summit. I think he was just 15 years old. He he, uh, he wasn't part of the Hoop Summit. They brought in a team to scrimmage, uh, and he was he was incredible. And I've probably watched him. It's felt like a hundred times since then. And uh, what I like about Paul, and kind of similar to what we were talking about, is that that guy is just a baller. Like that guy doesn't care. That guy will play all day, every day. I've seen him just show up to. Like, I was in uh, I was in Utah at a high school event. And he had just gone off the plane. He played uh, the, in the grind session in Phoenix. He won MVP. I think their team won the championship. Hops on a plane, shows up to the game late in Utah, laces him up, drops 20 in the second half. Did, did he, did he, you know, blink an eye kind of thing. And uh, that, that's, I think that's him in a nutshell. He's just, you know, it's somewhat of a carefree guy, but I, and I, and I mean that in a good way, just, he's got like a, a confidence to him, uh, you know, where I, I just, he, he knows he's good. He loves the game. He's just a baller. And uh, I think as far, as far as his fit in Orlando, he is a pretty, you know, he's, he's primarily like a, a scorer in my mind. He's a big bodied explosive scorer. I mean, you can put a guy like that on any team. And so I, I do think, you know, whether, whether it happens quickly or not, uh, I mean, I do think he's going to be their primary scorer, and they've got a nice, you know, young core unit sort of uh, developing now. And uh, I think he's going to be the centerpiece. Wanted to get your thoughts, Matt, on something a, a little bit more conceptual, I guess. Um, you know, you've analyzed several drafts, obviously. So I assume you've, you've had a lot of time to think about this question. Um, with what we're hearing right now. So, you know, the Wemby highlights come out. Everyone freaks out. Of course, it's awesome. Uh, the Scoot highlights as well. Equally awesome. And everyone talks about, okay, now the narrative is we're going to have, I don't know, 20 teams tanking to get Wemby. I'm just kidding. But, uh, you know, the, mm -hmm. the tanking narrative comes out as it does every year when we get excited about these prospects. Do you still feel like the draft lottery system is the most effective way to do an NBA draft? You know, I think it's a great question. And it's funny, I saw the press conference Adam Silver did, I think, a week ago addressing this, and he, he didn't really have a good answer and kind of came <laughs> off a little awkward, right? I don't I don't, I don't blame him. I mean, I'm, I'm glad sure. I'm not in, in, in his spot because, you know, I, right. it's one of those things where there's a clear-cut problem, but, I mean, what's what's a reasonable solution? Like, I, I, I sure don't know. Um, it, it, it does feel a little broken, but, I mean, again, I, I, I really don't have a solution. Uh, I mean, you've got a guy like like Wemby and Scoot, and, and, and I'm really high on him in Thompson, like I mentioned. Um, I mean, naturally, these teams that aren't where they want to be, you know, one guy's like 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 those three, or, or, or I mean, even after those players, I mean, I think there's still some good 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 guys that uh, teams could build around. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's just human nature. You know, teams will do what they need to do uh, to try and get, you know, a, a solid player to build around. Yeah, with all the narratives that we get in the offseason or, or just whenever the hype comes out about these prospects, you know, I almost wonder if we would have less teams involved in the tanking conversation overall if we went to, I know it's a bad sport comparison, but like just the NFL system, like your your worst team is going to get that first pick. I, I don't know that I necessarily think it would be like five teams in single digit wins that are willing to go, you know, that low. But of course that's, that's highly debatable. Yeah. I, I think teams, I, 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 I don't think I like that, that idea. I think what would happen is it would, the tank would be even more extreme. Mm. Mm -hmm. Cause I mean, you know, cause I mean, you're still, okay. You, you tank as much as you want. There's still a lot of risk, you know, I mean, OKC sure. could, you know, win no games this year and end up with the fourth pick. 
Absolutely. Um, the other question I had here that's this kind of a little bit more conceptual with all the young talent that you're seeing come into the league each year. I mean, I, Justin and I were just saying the other day, like 25 and under seems like it's the deepest the league has ever been and, and the most talented. Um, is the NBA ripe for expansion at this point? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I think it makes a lot of sense. And uh, I mean, from a business standpoint, too, I mean, we've got we've got two great markets. I mean, with Seattle and Las Vegas uh, as the, you know, assumed uh, next destinations. And uh, I mean, and basketball's, you know, really become a, a, a truly global sport. And so, I mean, it's continued to grow and expand. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm all for it. Matt, I want to ask you in regards to this year's draft class, are there any prospects that are falling under the radar that, hey, you know, my, my uh, friend here has a, a league pass description <laughs> that um, he should be watching out for in terms of kind of those uh, Wednesday night games that might not seem appealing but might have some great rookies. Are there any um, prospects that we should be watching out for? Yeah, I mean, Atari Easton's been doing a great job in the preseason. I mean, he's—I don't think he's a total sleeper. I mean, he was, you know, first-round pick, uh, but it looks like he's going to play a, you know, a solid role for the Rockets. I, I could see him being a guy that earns himself, uh, you know, all rookie team type deal. And other than that, I mean, it's really hard to say of like who's going to get the opportunities to play much. Uh, I, I am expecting like those top, you know, five six picks that play pretty big roles on on their teams. Uh, obviously, aside from Ch from Chet being out for for the season. Fantastic. Matt, this has been a great chat. Thank you very much for providing your expertise on um, just the upcoming draft class and this year's draft class. Um, please let our viewers and listeners know where they can find you on social media and also any upcoming projects you're working on as well. Yeah, sure. You, you find me on Twitter and Instagram at Matt Babcock 11. Uh, yeah, stay, stay tuned. I've got a lot of new stuff coming up. I have a new podcast coming out. We're working on a docu-series, uh, really trying to diversify my, my media presence and, and content we're putting out. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to stay on the road, still watch the players and um, you know, just do, do as much as I possibly can, honestly. Awesome. Thanks, Matt, very much. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks, guys. Take care.